I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, an investment advisory practice. I've been an advisor for nearly 30 years, and one of the questions I get asked most frequently is, do I have enough money relative to other people my age? And while that's an interesting question, it's also the wrong question. The right question is, is do you have enough money to sustain your lifestyle for the rest of your life? This is a question you should know the answer to. This is what we do. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our Big Proud American Eagle logo. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan, and we are back with Tony Lyons, who's the president and publisher of Skyhorse Publishing. Tony, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. So, Tony, this is our launch on our American Conversations about censorship. You have just recently been appointed to the board, and congratulations to the board of the National Coalition Against Censorship. And I want to start with something, because I think we're at a pivotal point now. Have we taken the the defensive censorship too far because you know or is it a different language because you and i grew up with the exceptional america of you know anybody can say anything that they want uh and they can read anything that they want but now are we in a different era where we have to really broaden the conversation and examine exactly what's happening because the world you and i grew up in was pre-internet yeah, it's a much different world now, you know, where there are a lot of different forces trying to control what you do, what you think, what you read, you know, what you eat, um, you know, what drugs you take, just about everything. And there's so many tools now that didn't exist in the past that can be used to kind of force you into a specific narrative. And the, the national, explain to the public what the National Coalition Against Censorship is, because you guys have been around now for, I mean, it's got to be nearly 50 years or more. Yeah, it's definitely been a long time. And they've taken a, you know, a very strong stance in protecting free speech in this country. You know, one of the things that they haven't focused on, I think, you know, um, is the censorship of adult books that have to do with public health or with politics. And since that's such a critical era, I mean, uh, such a critical area in a democracy, um, you know, part of the reason that I wanted to join was to start that conversation and make sure that that kind of censorship is known to the public generally and that, you know, we fight it in every way we can. Well, let's talk about that because, you know, you published <laughs> one of the most, you know, uh, censored distributions of the book, Bobby Kennedy's The Real Anthony Fauci, and, and explain to the public, you know, how you're, there you, go, there you go, the one I read twice and Bobby signed and said, come back to him after I read it a third time. But, but it's, you know, explain how you came, 
you know, seeing the world as you did, because, you know, your, your father started Sky Horse with you, you know, and, and you've inherited it and you've expanded it. But, you yeah, know, it's a slightly different story. So my my father started a company called the Lions Press. That's and right. I, and, I, and I helped him run that for about 10 years. And, and then we sold it. And then in 2006, I, I started Sky Horse. OK, it's, you know, it's close enough. So 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 you see it through the lens of a publisher, but you're also a lawyer. So what do you see that has shifted and when did you see it shift so that people understand that this is, you know, censorship is a very it, it's pivotal to a democracy, you know, free it, being without being censored. I mean, we, we don't have a democracy if we're censored. That's that's the bottom line. So when did you when did your lights go on about the seriousness of this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the worst early case that I saw was when Bobby Kennedy wrote the book, Thy Marisol, Let the Science Speak. And that was about, you know, 10, 12 years back. And um, and, and when when that book came out, you know, he was claiming that Thy Marisol, which is a type of uh, mercury in vaccines, uh, was very dangerous for young children, could could cause brain damage and, and, and lots of other problems. And um, even a book that had hundreds of peer-reviewed studies in it was censored, you know, in all kinds of places. Um, but it but it came out, and you know, there was no comment on it from the media. So you know, this is a claim that millions and millions of children were being exposed to something really dangerous to them. And you would think that investigative journalists all around the world would have wanted to cover that. So, you know, some of the mercury had been taken out of some of the vaccine before then, but it, it's a, it was a very bold claim and it was, you know, just an incredibly well-researched book and it just, just got crickets from the whole world. And yeah, so, so what, I, what I saw too was that newspaper after newspaper wouldn't accept advertisements for it, wouldn't respond to uh, Bobby Kennedy in any way, wouldn't review the book. Um, you know, so, so that was the beginning of this kind of new way of viewing censorship. And that, that new way developed into deplatforming. And the idea of deplatforming is that, um, is that if you discuss something with somebody, if you engage in debate, that's actually sort of an endorsement. So even if you get on the stage, so if, if for example, you know, Dr. Fauci's kind of claim is that he knows the truth and it doesn't matter what any, anybody else says. So if he gets on the stage with Bobby Kennedy, his very weak claim, very self-serving claim is that he's giving credibility to Bobby Kennedy's misinformation. You know, he knows the truth. There's no dialogue. Science is over. We should just stop and we should obey him. We should obey the government and just be kind of told what to do. And that kind of censorship is the idea that any kind of dissent, any kind of disagreement is an endorsement of that dissent, is that it that it it is bringing the public something that is untrue. And that's such a scary development in the history of censorship. I would almost rather that you know censorship was sort of more open but but that idea that you know it's dangerous to talk to people who you disagree with and that 
your your job is to protect the public from these dangerous people. But I think that what's happened is that these dangerous people are actually just claiming corruption. And so the censorship is used as a tool of that corruption. And that, you know, sort of deplatforming then just takes arguments off the table so that the public thinks that there's total consensus on all of these major issues, whether it's public health or foreign policy or, or all kinds of other things. So what we're really talking about is freedom of speech and debate. And if you don't have a debate, you don't have you you, you don't have ideas that grow because I mean you can have you, you there's no consensus you know there's there's no cooperation there's no delving into the what the facts are I, I you know I think that when I first started covering COVID and I realized how little I knew um, about the history of vaccinations and the history of the pharma corruption it was you know through your colleagues um, Laura Bono and Mary Holland and at Bobby's behest you know all of a sudden I'm reading 40 or 50 books in the last three years you know m- many of many of which you know you, you guys published but What's fascinating to me is when I asked you in the past, how many of the investigative journalists who covered medicine or covered science, which I never did until now, how many of them actually addressed your books? And you told me that they didn't. So it was almost like there was no endorsement that here's a book, here's something you should think about. But you also had journalists that were covering the beats of these stories, ignoring the books which is extraordinary to me. Well, my my view there is that they kind of want the public to believe that there's no controversy. And so the best way huh. to do that is not to have debate. So, you know, if a if a book like like Ed Dowd's comes out, you know, this this book cause right. on me. So, right. this book comes out and it's claiming that young people who shouldn't have been vaccinated because under any circumstances, they they just didn't need it, you know, under any way of, 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 of viewing it. And that those people are getting heart attacks unnecessarily, that they're getting fast moving cancers, that they're getting blood clots. Um, so this is a very scary kind of claim. And, you know, and it's and it's done. I mean, this book is put together by, you know, two really serious people who did their homework. Absolutely. And, you know, prior to this kind of censorship and deplatforming, you know, this book would have gone to major newspapers and they would have said, well, is this true? You know, let's let's dig into this and let's tell the public, you know, whether it's it's true or not. And the idea now is that the better way to control people is to make them believe that there's kin- consensus, that everything's fine, that there's no risk to to them, that you know that that we're at the end of science, we're at the end of any sort of controversy, that all of the all of the big problems happened in in the past, and that now the government is entirely honest, that the biggest most powerful companies on earth are entirely honest, that they're not colluding with the government, that they don't want to. Um, extract as much money from the public as they possibly can. And so sort of most people then for a while just believe that because they said, well, how could it be? How could a conspiracy be this big? How could every newspaper fail to cover 
you know, the real Anthony Fauci or Cause Unknown or Robert Malone's Lies My Government Told Me, you know, all of these books coming out and there and there are dozens and dozens of them. And they're by really well-respected, serious people. Um, but they they figure that if they don't cover it, then nobody thinks there's any controversy, you know, even though. They're, you know what's interesting? Yeah, go ahead. What's interesting to me is that when I, when I read uh, Ed's book and then we did an interview with him, I thought I was telling everybody that it should be in everybody's you know Christmas stocking at the bottom of the, the tree that, uh, when it came out because it was through the eyes of a guy who was very successful, you know, at BlackRock financially. I mean, he took a $2 billion fund and turned it into 14 or 14 or $16 billion. And his role as in somebody in the financial world is to look at data, to project the trends around the corner for financial investment. And so he was looking at the data through a different lens, it wasn't necessarily science. It was just the mortality and the actuality records. And and then I think about what's the consequences if we censored something like that. And that goes into our dear friend Pierre Corey's book, which is about the ivermectin war when he stepped right. up forward. And what people don't realize, if you read Bobby Kennedy's book, thank you, I'm good, you've got it up. And if you read Bobby Bobby Kennedy's book, and he Bobby talks about how they didn't just tell you, you know, confuse you at my old alma mater, CNN, and call ivermectin, you know, horse uh, medicine. They, they lied about that. But at the same time, the government actually put the ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine into stockpiles. So they didn't just, you know, gaslight you and say, don't take this medicine. They took it off the market. That's another form of censorship. Just like in the White House now, we have the White House telling the White House press pool, in order to cover the White House, you have to get a congressional pass and a Senate pass from the from the uh, the, the congressional um, press gallery as well as the, or the Senate gallery, and that's never happened before. So it's the access. It is the right. is the national coalition censorship? Are they committed to take a look at different variations of censorship that is happening? Because it's to me, it's very creative how how people are getting censored. It's not just gaslighting, defaming. Um, you know, ignoring it's, it's actually has long-term ramifications. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I joined the board, I made it very clear that that's the kind of thing that I think I can contribute, you know, that I've, that I've seen, I mean, you know, you know, you take, take a look at, at this book, for example, which is the real RFK junior. So, you know, mm -hmm. that to me was such an important book because you can't understand who the real RFK Jr. is if you read the newspapers, if you listen to mainstream media, because what, what you see is attack after attack after false claim. And so right. how can the American public know what's true? And so, you know, that's a form of censorship too. So when, when you know, 20 major news outlets come up with the claim that Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is an anti-Semite, you know, even though there's not a shred of truth in it. I mean, he's he's been pro-Israel for 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 decades. You know, he there right. is nothing to that story. It's an absolutely manufactured story. It's just a form of censorship. It, it's a way to kind of discredit him. 
So, you know, it it discredits Bobby, but it also discredits anybody who who knows the truth about Bobby. I mean, it's so, you know, it it has, it's, it's insulting to Americans who know Bobby. Right. Who know the legacy there. But, you know, in, in, in that case, it's actually really harmful to Jewish people. Absolutely. You know, because if you falsely claim somebody is an anti-Semite, that's actually anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. What you're you're doing is you're kind of devaluing the analysis and the effort to stop anti-Semitism by just saying, you know, anybody could be. It's sort of like what started to happen with autism, where, you know, there's this group of, of children who are really hurt and who are really injured. And then when, when movie stars and, and sort of anybody can come out and say, oh, they're on, on the spectrum, suddenly it starts to seem like something very different than a group of people who are injured who are trying to get better. Well, it's insulting to anybody that's disabled. You know, and and, right. and, and to, to me, that is that's one of the worst things you can possibly say is that somebody's anti-vax when they in fact have a child that they're taking care of because of a requirement to get a child vaxxed and nobody takes responsibility about it. Let me ask you this because there, you know, with with all the and it, this is a hard one. OK, I'll admit this. So we have we have books in schools and parents are upset about the sexual books that are in school. How do we deal with that? Because, I mean, there is an appropriate age to t- talk to children about sex and there and some children are not emotionally equipped to handle that. But how do we deal with that? Because we have the you know, we, there are some parents that want to take certain books out and these are cartoon porn. I mean, I say this. I've seen these books. I have a real problem with them being in the library. At the same time, I want to say that we shouldn't censor people. How do we deal with something like that in this day and age? Because that's never happened before. Yeah, that's a really tough question. And, you know, what 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 gets tough there is that that's about protecting children. Right. So 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 there is some sort of censorship that's OK there. And it's a question of what it is. So, you know, you clearly don't want to have pornographic books um, in a, in a library for eight-year-olds, you know, I mean, any, any parent would, 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 would get that. So even but though, Tony, yeah, but Tony, there are some parents that say, no, anything goes. I mean, I've interviewed people who will tell me flat out Christine, but there's pornography that's on the internet. So what the hell difference does it make if it's in a book in a library? And I'm thinking to myself, well, what about the children? Yeah. I mean, it is, it is true that you know people can can go on their you know children can go on their phones and and they can find anything but that but that doesn't mean that you should make it easier for them i mean there there are certain sort of things that i think any parent recognizes is is wrong and you know that i think is not a left or a right question that's not a censorship question that's about you know a normal healthy development of of your child so you know, putting too much sexual content in front of young children is just clearly bad. I don't I don't think there can really be disagreement there. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Do you what do you see as the hurdles ahead? Because I know that you don't get involved with anything unless you, you, you're you on a mission. So so what do you see that you want the coalition to focus on? It, just the, the different avenues of censorship now that we didn't have 20 years ago? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, what I want them to really focus on is the idea that the government can kind of censor political speech and can censor, you know, uh, public health speech and that they can induce big tech platforms to do that or they can encourage newspapers to do that so that the newspapers think they're doing something good. And so I would like to really put a focus on getting back to dialogue and debate for grown-ups, because I don't think that, you know, once you're over 18, you need to be protected from political speech. And I, I would want to be sure that these tools aren't just used for corruption. You know, so, so people tell us, well, they're, you know, they're trying to protect us from misinformation, conspiracy theories, you know, all of these dangerous things. And I would want to be really sure, and I would want our coalition to be really sure that they're not just trying to protect their own corruption. And, you know, you know that's, that's a complicated thing to get to the bottom of, but I don't think that adults need to be protected and, and that I don't, you know, books should be dangerous. Speech should be dangerous. People should be confused. People should think about things from perspectives that are different than their own. And, you know, that's not something that the government should, should take any part in. That's not something that big tech platforms should take any part in. You know, I don't want the president being kicked off Twitter. I don't want Bobby Kennedy as a political candidate to have things taken down from YouTube. I mean, who are you really trying to protect there? You know, what you're trying to protect clearly is a specific narrative. And, and, and that's becoming a means of controlling people. And that's exactly what the Constitution is supposed to forbid. You know, Tony, years ago, we, we, you know, our generation talked about Madison Avenue and the influence of Madison Avenue and advertisement. And I, I often have given thought in the last three years between the, the, the power of Madison Avenue in the days, you know, mm -hmm. 25, 30, 40 years ago. And then today, when we have the government coming in and censoring, it, it's, you know, it, it's a powerful tool when a government comes in and, and censors someone. And to me, the shocking, it, it was shocking to me in 2020 when people, and it didn't matter whether it was Bobby or Mike Flynn, all right? People were being gaslit, you know, on social media. I'm not a social media person, um, but I, you know, I can see how upset people were at the time. And it's not just the person, it's the statements. If somebody, if, if Mike Flynn or Bobby Kennedy tweeted something and then it was retweeted and it was retweeted 15, 40 times, all those people were, were gaslit at the same yeah. time. So I mean, this is, this is, you know, censorship is not just limited to those who are initially censored on social media or gaslit because they have a message or a book, but it's everybody. If you don't go along with quote unquote, the powers that be and their narrative, you're not part of the tribe, which is a different type of America. Right. And then if you look at sort of the targeted propaganda that's become such a big part of sort of uh, fighting dissent. Right. So that, you know, something like the disinformation dozen, I think is a great example of that, you know, Nobody really knew where that came from. I mean, I have a good sense of where that came from. But, you know, that that was not just some, you know, nonprofit doing a lot of research and saying, hey, these are bad people. We're going to protect the uh, public. 
that was part of an organized propaganda campaign to control the public by taking all of these relatively powerful people who had a different point of view and trying to convince the public that you know they shouldn't be trusted. So you call them the disinformation dozen and you do it at a specific time. So this was an organization that basically didn't even exist. You know, there was practically, you know, there were one or two people working there. They claimed to have have a location in the UK and then one in Washington, D.C., but nobody could find that there was anybody working at either one of them. And there was no location in D.C., maybe a box number. So, you know, that that happened, that came out and it was a really big event. It so was it was it. a big event. It was a big there? event. <clears throat> and I remember when the U.S. Surgeon General held a press conference in June of 2021, and he held up a PR plan, all right, for COVID. And I read it at the time, mm. and I said to myself, there's no way that a government bureaucrat wrote this. And I passed it to a friend of mine who, who's a P PR guru, and I said, what's your opinion on this? And she agreed as well. And then it took me a long time to, to, to track down that Weber Shadwick had the, had the PR contract for Moderna, Pfizer, and CDC at the time. And I thought it was very odd when the U.S. Surgeon General held that press, held that press conference because of all the people in the government at the time, why would he be holding up what their, what their response is going to be to the press? And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. He's not the guy that would normally do that. Normally it would, would have come from the NIH. <clears throat> or it would have come from the White House because they were holding the daily press conferences on COVID at the time. But then all of a sudden he came out and I thought, huh, isn't this clever to deflect that it's really probably coming from Fauci and Francis Collins. Right. I mean, and, it, it, it is fascinating, you know, how these tactics were used because it, it is right out of 1984 that this is mm -hmm. classic doublespeak, that you've, you've got this massive disinformation campaign and they're targeting the disinformation dozen, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you, you've got all of these plans set up to fool the public by, you know, trying to make an argument that anybody who disagrees with you is absolutely crazy. And, you know, even with the Surgeon General, you know, they, they, they came out with this document in the early fall of 2021 called Confronting Health Misinformation. Mm -hmm. and it was a fascinating document because there was no description of what misinformation was. So the implication is that they just get to decide what the truth is. And anybody who disagrees with them, then there's this 22 page document of what you do to make sure that your narrative gets through to everybody in the country. So they they laid it all out there with with bullet points that we're going to partner with federal, state, and local government. We're gonna partner with big tech companies. We're gonna partner with the media. We're gonna do everything we can to make sure that there's no you know, misinformation out there. And you know, that was such a fascinating thing because you can see this story in that, that light, that they were gonna destroy anything that got in the way of their narrative and anybody. They were going to take away people's medical licenses. They were going to use big tech platforms to make it difficult for people to find any information that contradicted them. They were going to have books come out that claimed that they were cor corrupt and they were going to censor them in 
50 different ways simultaneously and just, you know, use, you know, multiple branches of government. I mean, the, the, the power of the most, you know, of the largest and strongest government in the history of mankind with the best and most, you know, uh, detailed censorship tools that have ever, you know, tools that would be the envy of any dictator in history and just bring that down on anybody who disagrees. So we, yeah. yeah. One, one of the most fascinating um, things I noticed in the last three years, I grew up on National Geographic. I mean, I, I had, you know, collections, you know, every month since I was a kid. And I saw when Bobby's book was coming, it was about, well, it took, it, the dates rolled on, on the publication for the release. But I remember that when his book was coming out, all of a sudden National Geographic kept on adopting Fauci's narrative a good six months before. And it was just, they knew the science and they had the National Geographic gold brand, which is, you know, I mean, it's huge, it's huge worldwide. And they kept on parroting what Fauci was saying as if there was to be no discussion. And then all of a sudden the National Geographic in response to Bobby's book about Fauci came out with a documentary that basically wasn't even the truth. Right. You know, it, it to me, it, you know, it wasn't just ABC, CBS, NBC, you know, CNN and the like. It was it was some of the best brands in the world that they went after. And then, I mean, full disclosure to our audience, we are one of the plaintiffs in the trust news initiative lawsuit. And to me, that's really important because that takes on people that knew better. Reuters, mm -hmm. AP, The Washington Post. They know better than to, to, to go along for something like this. What is what do you think has to be the tipping point to, to reverse what we've seen, Tony? Because this has done a lot of damage to you know millions of people across the globe. Yeah, so I think the first thing we need is a new president who really cares. <laughs> and I think that that's what you would get with Bobby Kennedy, is that you would get somebody on his first day would start to dismantle the apparatus that is set up to control what people think and what they read and what they do and every aspect of their lives and that he would roll this back and he would make the Bill of Rights count. He would make our constitutional values, you know, bring them to the forefront once again. And I think that you need somebody running this country who doesn't have any conflicts, who isn't corrupt, and who is going to dismantle these gigantic agencies of government that are controlled by big corporations, that there are a dozen corporations that have turned this country into an oligarchy. And, you know, most of what happens seems to be geared towards helping them make more money. I mean, there are all kinds of other trends, but, you know, censorship then just becomes a tool of that kind of a system. And I think that if you have a president who just says, I'm not going to allow that to happen in this country, then, you know, I think a lot of people would go along with it, that the American public doesn't want this. And if they know what's happening, they're going to fight against it. And, and that's kind of happened now, you know, that millions and millions of people are going to alternative news sites, are reading different newspapers, you know, that they know that they're being lied to and they're tired of it and they're rebelling in any way that they can. Uh, recently, I, I watched the 19-minute film on the border. Bobby went down to the border uh, in right. June. 
<clears throat> somebody who's an expert in you know human trafficking because I've covered it for almost 25 years. Uh, I thought that was very interesting when Bobby admitted that <clears throat> he wasn't necessarily in favor of a wall, but when he went down and saw the human suffering and what was going on, he he's now come out with a plan, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a doable plan. And, and, it, and he shifted his mind about that. I thought it was very interesting the other day when I watched his farmer webinar and mm. he's talking to farmers around America. And in the context where Bobby, you know, Bobby was on the, he was on, was it Time Magazine? Years yeah, ago? It was the Time was, Magazine, Environmental Man of the Year. Yeah, Environmental Man, I forget what year it was, but I mean, he's on the cover of Time Magazine and all of a sudden now he's getting gaslit because he's taking on pharma, you know, in right. Washington, D.C. and all over the world during a, you know, a global pandemic. Uh, do you, do you see... Because you've been with Bobby and Children's Health Defense for some time, and now, in full disclosure, you're, you're running one of you're part of a team running one of his packs. Do you see a shift in the last, let's say, eighteen months, where people are waking up more to, to you know, the, the disinformation isn't coming from Bobby; it's coming from pharma directly and the U.S. government. Yeah, I have seen more and more people recognizing that they've been lied to, and I think you know really, you know, uh, objectively, people are, are waking up, they're tired of it, and they're just not going to take it anymore. And I think they're going to vote for a candidate who's going to tell them the truth. And I, and I hope that that's what's, what's going to happen. I mean, I know that the DNC is going to fight very, very hard to make it impossible for Bobby to, you know, win the nomination, you know, that they're, they're going to do everything that they can. But I think that if millions of people in this country see what's going on between now and then, they will not allow it to happen. How do people find your pack information, Tony? How do people contribute to, to, to because this is, it, it's, it's, we're at a critical pivotal time. Yeah, that, that's how I see it. So the best way to do it is to go to AmericanValues2024.org. And that will give you, you know, lots of in, information, um, you know, things that, that we're doing, programs that we've launched, and, and that's a good place to stay up to date. Do you, do you have a, a strategy um, with the National Coalition Against Censorship for the next year? Because, you know, if people don't get the facts, if they don't get the truth, they're misinformed voters. Yeah, I mean, I've only been there for, you know, so, something like three weeks now. So, mm -hmm. but I am really gonna try to push them towards making sure that adult information on politics and public health and you know foreign policy and so many other things are not censored anymore. And, and, and that each time they are, it's, it's called out and that newspapers actually cover that. Because you know, in the last two years, but you know, for kind of a long time, many of those things just haven't been covered. And I think journalists are scared to cover them, even if they think that they're really critical. You know, this past week, I wrote a piece about um, the 19 minute documentary that Bobby was in and also his trip and his policy and immigration. And we had a comment on our site that everything that's happening at the border is because of, quote unquote, Uncle Teddy, meaning Ted, Ted Kennedy, the late Ted Kennedy and Bobby's uncle. And and I and I responded to the person. I just couldn't. I just couldn't withhold it. I thought to myself, oh my gosh, 
you know, Teddy died in 2009 and the border was erupting in 2013 and 14. And now it's, it's even wor worse numbers today. And Teddy had nothing to do with the Obama administration's immigration policy at that point in time. Right. And he's got nothing no, to do with Biden's. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. Yeah. And there is a pattern here of the increase in human trafficking in the border here and in some places in our foreign policy in the past, especially during the Arab rising, Arab Spring back in 2010 and 11. So it, it is important for people to get the facts because if people are just told, oh, no, 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 this was Teddy Kennedy. No, no, we need, we need to have an uptake in you know, historical knowledge, especially on politics going forward for 2024. So Tony, thank you for what you're doing. Good luck with your board appointment. Good luck with your, your plan on, on um, you know, how to expand the conversation with the National Coalition Against Censorship. And, and you're welcome back anytime. And you know, thank you for all the publishing that you've done for the books, because you certainly have made me smarter with all the books that you've published that I've been reading. Christine, thanks so much for having me on. And thanks for all the great things that, that you are doing and have been doing. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Tony. Yeah.